Production support for Noon Edition comes from Smithville. Fiber Internet, streaming TV, home security, and automation in southern Indiana. More information at smithville.com. And from the Bloomington Health Foundation, partnering with local organizations and citizens to invest in programs that address our community's health needs. Bloomington Health Foundation, improving health and well-being takes a community. More at bloomhf.org. This is Noon Edition on WFIU. I'm Bob Zaltzberg from WFIU, WTIU News. We're recording the show remotely today to avoid the risk of spreading infection. And I'm co-hosting with William Morris, who hosts WFIU's Soul Kitchen. He has worked as an attorney for Indiana Legal Services and as a private practice attorney focusing on civil rights, which is fitting because today we're talking about recent protests and demonstrations calling for justice and police reform following the death of George Floyd in Minneapolis. We have five guests joining us today. Well, at least four. We hope to have five. Uh, We know we're going to have Bill Vance, the NAACP Monroe County Branch President, and Marita Myers, who's the Ruth N. Halls Associate Professor of History and Gender Studies at Indiana University, and she is a member of the Bloomington Black Lives Matter Core Council. Bloomington Police Chief Mike Deepgoff is with us, and Janine Bell, an Indiana University Maurer School of Law professor, is also here to start the program. We hope to be joined also by Selena Drake, an organizer of today's peaceful march protest against police brutality in downtown Bloomington. You can join us on the on the show today if you want to send a question to news at indianapublicmedia.org. You can also follow us on Twitter at Noon Edition. Well, I appreciate everybody coming on the program today. Um, and Janine Bell, I wanted to start with you. I was struck by the fact that just last year you wrote a piece for uh, a journal, and the piece was entitled The Resistance and the Stubborn but Unsurprising Persistence of Hate and Extremism in the United States. Um, I wanted to talk about, you know, that, you know, the stubborn issues that uh, we're seeing arise again today. And just have you sort of set the, the stage for, you know, why we're seeing so much anger in so many protests right now. All right. Um, so the piece that I wrote was about hate crime, right? Um, but the same could be said about policing because there have been calls for police reform for since the 1920s, right? Since the 1920s, since the creation of professional policing in this country, uh, there have been calls for police reform, right? Um, And there have been decades of reforms. There have quite simply been decades of reforms. And the recent events suggest that absolutely nothing has uh, worked. Minneapolis spent literally millions of dollars in excess of $12 million reforming the police in the wake of Rolando Castile's death. And still we have situations that led to George Floyd's death. So 
this is uh, certainly another situation where police procedures remain uh, intractable and resistant to a reform. I'm going to turn to Anne-Marie de Myers next. I, I noticed that you're going to be one of the speakers today at the the uh, rally downtown, the protest downtown. And I wondered, you know, what, what's your message? Thank you so much for having me today. Um, one of the things I wanted to follow up with what um, Professor Bell said and, and echo it, uh, I'm, I'm first and foremost a scholar of slavery and um, policing systems in this country actually arose up out of slavery in the system of the institution of the slave patrol. And so I think it's uh, really important to actually remind our listeners of that history. I'm a historian first and foremost, and so I always teach that history. And I think that that's part of the problem that we're seeing here is that the intractability is the fact that policing is at its core structurally, institutionally um, rooted in these racist systems. And so it's very difficult to, to move it out of that history that when, when policing arose out of a structure that inherently sees black people as being either the property of white people or a threat to white people's property, that it's very difficult to then all of a sudden tell police officers to see African-Americans as citizens in need of protection. And Law enforcement, unfortunately, also, and individuals within law enforcement also have a long history and long ties to white supremacist organizations. And those ties are also incredibly difficult to dis disengage from. Long histories with the Ku Klux Klan. We're talking sheriffs, police officers, judges, um, lawyers. And so these, these things are very, very difficult to disengage from. Uh, one of the things I'm going to be speaking about today is the fact that I believe that it's time to s simply stop talking about the problems because we know what they are, and it's time to begin moving towards structural solutions. And one of the things I believe that we need to do is defund. Um, and in fact, today there's um, a very important piece out of Los Angeles that, um, and this, this is something we've been calling for for years, is um, right decarceration and defund decarcerating um, you know United States and um, defunding the police state that we live in. The police have been be enormous amounts of money over the last forty years. Um, they've grown by leaps and bounds. Uh, they've grown exponentially numerically. They've also become hyper militarized in terms of their weaponry, assault vehicles. Right here in Bloomington, the purchase of the Bearcat, which costs two hundred and fifty thousand dollars. So we need to begin defunding them and then taking those funds and putting them towards things like mental health, social services, and other things in terms of community policing, mediation, things that actually will help the community. And out of Los Angeles to late today, the news reports exactly that. The mayor has called for moving $150 million out of the police budget and putting it towards exactly those sorts of programs. Um, and that's what I'm gonna be, one of the things I'm gonna be calling for today. Okay, thank you very much. Um, I wanna bring in Mike Deekoff next, the chief of police here in Bloomington. Um, if you could just talk about, you know, when you, when you saw the images on TV of what was going on in Minneapolis of the, the, the death of George Floyd, you know, what was, what was going through your mind and, you know, how did you react to that? 
Well, at first I was, <clears throat> I was horrified um, listening to him saying I can't breathe and having none of those police officers uh, do anything to stop uh, what was occurring. Um, I am in total support of them being um, arrested and charged. Um, uh, and until we hold police officers accountable for, for that those types of behaviors, um, it's gonna continue. Um, it's, it's, uh, it's extremely frustrating. Um, you know, I, I have been a police officer for 33 years and when I see those types of things happen, I, it, it just, it makes me ill um, because again, we're not, we're not learning from mistakes and, and criminal acts that are happening and we've got to stop that behavior and we have to change how we do things. Um, uh, you know, t talking about the funding here in Bloomington, um, you know, we started our downtown resource officer program where we um, literally dedicate um, hundreds of thousands of dollars um, that we use in grant money to partner with social service agencies to, to uh, work with us to do um, community policing and, and um, uh, work to get at, at root uh, causes for some of the issues that a lot of um, homeless individuals are, are, are uh, uh, suffering from so that we can try to break that cycle of, of homelessness and interaction with the police. So more programs like that are, are uh, definitely needed. And, th and those are those are types of things that that we're doing here in Bloomington. Okay, I want to move next to uh, Selena Drake, who just joined us. Selena, if you can unmute, we, we'd like to hear why you decided that you wanted to have this uh, organize this this protest today. Hi, thank you for having me. I really appreciate you taking the time out to listen to us. But um, so today was, this week has been very eventful. However, with that being said, um, when I watched the George Floyd video of the murder, I thought to myself, like I was, I don't know, like that's the hardest I've ever cried watching a video. And I've seen plenty of black men and it's sad to say, but I've seen plenty of black men killed by the police. However, in this way, it was something different. It was, he used his knee and he was still on top of him for two more minutes after he passed away. And so, well, after he was murdered. And so what I did is just, I just felt like I could do nothing. There was nothing I could do, especially with COVID-19. And I don't know. I just was like, no, there, like, there has to be something we can do. There's no way there's not an answer to this. And like, instantly I reached out to my on social media I went to Twitter and I had so many people like supporting the idea and I didn't think it was going to be like as big as it is now however as soon as I um, reached out on Facebook that's when the whole community like everybody within the community wanted to help like they reached out with masks with um, gloves with any type of supplies we need water um, we have a lot of restaurants downtown opening their doors for people to use the bathroom, for people to um, get water, coffee as well. And I just, it's amazing how community, how the community of Bloomington came together. Um, and I think it's beautiful because we have some aspect of IU and as well as um, Bloomington. It's kind of hard when things happen like this because you kind of feel disconnected from the community. But this is like an effort to come together on a monolithic um, topic because 
like we all know like being a black individual nobody is even white or anything like nobody's monolithic however when it comes to a movement we have to have one goal and so if we find that goal we can essentially organize and like dr amarita said like we can go into the structure and create policy and we need to defund the police to be honest and like um chief Stigoff said they have plenty of programs we need to start allocating our money to that as well all right thank that went in a, in a, on a lot <laughs> yeah thank you thank you Thank you. I appreciate that. So I'm going to go to, to uh, Brother William, Brother William Morris, who does the Soul Kitchen on WFIU, and I'm pleased to have him uh, join me today as a co-host. And I know that you have some questions, so go ahead. Bob, thank you so much, and thank you for inviting me to join you. As I was uh, making some notes on today's uh, show, I was I, my mind went back to uh, the late great artist Marvin Gaye and his song. Um, what's going on. And I was just, I use his lyrics as a sort of a prophetic introduction to my question. Crime is increasing, tri trigger happy policing, panic spreading, God knows where we're heading. It makes me want to holler sometimes and throw up both my hands. And it's not from what's going on. It's a song called the inner city blues. And that's 50 years ago. And it made me think of, uh, I'm sure a colleague of professor bell and professor Myers, a uh, Khalil Muhammad, I'm writing about the criminalization of black people that started in the 1870s. And I think this is some of what Dr. Myers was talking about. And I'd like for her to sort of maybe fill in a little bit more of that because it seems to me that um, educating white people about the culture and the history of black people is part of what needs to be done. Um, would you agree or do you have something that you all can speak to on that? Is that question directed towards me? Well, it's either Dr. Bell or Dr. Myers or anyone that wants to, to speak toward that, um, this education of our culture. Um, and I, I just want to add one more thing. I think uh, many, many white people are, are not really aware of, of Black history, Black culture. I, I think sometimes they're not aware that Black fathers uh, and mothers have to sit down with their children and prepare them to live in white society. I mean, I'm 60 years old. When I was a child, my Parents had to sit me down and prepare me for when I was going to be called a nigger, when I was going to be treated unequally. And they had to prepare me for what to say and how to act. And I know that there are parents today that have to do that um, um, when police stop them and tell them what to do and, and how to hold their hands and things like that. And I think there's a, a education gap that that maybe needs to be bridged. And I wonder if you have any any thoughts about that. This is for Dr. Myers or Dr. Bell or anyone who wants to join in. Sure. Uh, go ahead, uh, Janine, you go first and then I'll follow up. Yeah, I agree in the sense that um, probably most whites think that uh, that we that uh, upper middle class black people, for instance, don't have to have conversations with respect to their children about the police, they don't know about this. I don't know how much change we're going to get by showing that because I think the education that needs to happen is about police culture and about policing. I think that very few Americans 
um, understand that fundamentally policing has terrible problems and they need to learn about those, not just for the safety of people who are black, but for their own children's safety. And if I had to choose one bit of education that I was going to give, I, if I couldn't tell them everything, I would say, let's talk about police culture and what's going on inside police departments and the ways that police are being socialized with respect to citizens, both black and white. So that's the message that I have as a police scholar. So um, I, I don't disagree with what Professor Bell just said about policing per se. I mean, again, I'm a scholar of African-American history and Black women's history in particular and women's Black women's history and slavery. I do think that educating people of all backgrounds about African-American history is critically important. And I always tell my students that African-American history is first and foremost American history. Mm. And it's shocking to me how many people of all backgrounds, including even Black students are unaware and unfamiliar with so many parts of Black history. Um, because simply by virtue of growing up here, many of our, uh, of our children of all backgrounds just simply assume that they know American history and they really don't. And that's mm -hmm. really a failure of the K through 12 system writ large. And I'm not, I'm not denigrating our teachers. It's not their fault. It's really a systemic issue because they are forced to teach to the test and it doesn't leave them the ability to be able to teach a lot of the material that they need to be teaching. Um, and so I have students across the, the board of all backgrounds who don't know their history, even though they think they know it. And I have students every year who come up to me angry, white students, black students, brown students, you name it, angry, how come I've never been taught this before? And so I do think education is incredibly important. I wouldn't have become an educator if I didn't believe that. And I wouldn't be teaching the classes I teach if I don't think that that's important and necessary. Um, so I, I would add that piece. I think that in terms of policing, I think that Professor Bell is absolutely right. I think that the hyper-militarization of the police, I think that the way that police um, are behaving across the country right now from DC to St. Louis, to Minneapolis, to Louisville, the number of shooting deaths that we've seen in Louisville in the last few weeks, the way that they are uh, acting towards peaceful protesters, the way that they're destroying medical supplies, water bottles. I think that we are, I think that it's very important to show the way that the police are willing to behave towards citizens regardless of race, class, color is really, really important those things, those dynamics cut across race and class and gender. And I think that that, that the militarization and, and the lack of respect that police forces have for citizens across the country, regardless of background, that needs to be explicitly shown and is actually being played out on the national scale on TVs, TV screens across the country. Um, Bob, can I follow up on that very quickly? Uh, yeah, I think Selena, Selena wants to oh, add okay, something Selena. real quick, and then, then you go ahead. Hi. Um, thank you. I'm so sorry I cut out earlier. <laughs> um, 
but um, I I agree with what was said, but I do believe that there's this big, big disconnect within the Black community and the police. Like, that relationship has already been um, deteriorated since, you know, since police were formed um, after slavery um, to protect the white man's land. And so now we look at it today, and as um, Dr. Amarita said earlier, it's ingrained in the system. Like, this is what it is. And so I think now, I think to create a better um, relationship or community or just build on that, I think we need to have police officers like um, just not even the police officers, but just sending stuff out to the community on your rights. Um, a lot of people don't know their rights and I don't think it's okay for police to take advantage of people's rights because just because they don't know them. And as the police office, as the police, I think it's their job to kind of inform as well as um, just get that community engagement. I know um, I was speaking with um, Officer Jill from the LAPD and they were talking about how they implement this, um, not training, but they they're, they have to do a program where they inform citizens on their rights. It could be like a little paper, um, did you know, like this is what you do if you stop. And so I think that's a big thing as well. Okay. Brother William? Um, yeah, just a, a short, short follow-up. Part of uh, the thing I was speaking about, about education, arose out of um, some things that, that, that have been done in, in, um, through, in South Africa through the efforts of Desmond Tutu with reconciliation. How do we create um, areas and spaces for reconciliation? And it seems as if um, it's like um, Ms. Selena said, the big word is how do we listen to each other? Um, that's one thought that I'd like the, the uh, people, the folks to follow up on. And a, a second thought is really sort of not related, but it's a, a book that I became aware of in the last few days, a book called The Rise of the Warrior Cop. And this warrior cop apparently is a policeman who becomes military-like. And that this is a big part of the problem that um, American policemen have started to sort of resemble ground troops. And I think we saw that very clearly at what happened in uh, Washington, D.C. when President Trump went over to St. John's and other places, of course, as well. And so I think those are two things I'd like to ask about. I'd like to ask uh, Chief Decoff and, and Bill Vance if they could speak to, especially Chief Decoff, about the, the militarization of police, which I think has created a lot of this problem. And then everybody in general about the need to be able to listen to each other. Thank you. So um, I would agree that um, I mean what what we're seeing playing out on television with riot squads and and everything that's happening, um, um, it, it does it does look like it you know it's the military coming in and doing things and and what. Um, what happened in Washington with with uh, uh, clearing of the park and things like that? Um, uh, those types of activities uh, really do drive home the you know the 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 image of uh, of the military. Um, you know, locally in Bloomington, um, you know there there was a lot of discussion um, about two years ago about the the armored rescue vehicle um, that. Uh, you know, we we listen to that. It is it is a, a, a piece of equipment that unfortunately um, is necessary to keep people safe, and we only use it in very high risk situations. Um, so, uh, transitioning to listening, 
I totally agree. I think there needs to be a lot more uh, discussions, a lot more listening. Um, uh, the communication um, is, is so important, um, especially for, for me and for the police to hear from, from the citizens that, that we serve, um, hearing, hearing what they say, hearing how they feel. That's how we affect change. That, that's how we, uh, we, we work to make things better. Um, so I, I definitely would, would encourage and, and participate in, in uh, those activities um, in the future and, and, and as we move forward. Chief Dekoff, if I could follow up before uh, the rest get a chance at, at William Morris's question. We had a question come in from one of our listeners. It says, as Bloomington students and residents gather to exercise their First Amendment rights, it might help ease anxieties if the BPD explains in some detail the department, I don't know how much detail you can go into today, but the department's training and standards for de-escalation techniques and policies regarding the use of body cam equipment and interactions with the public. Sure. So, so we, uh, we frequently have um, demonstrations and protests in Bloomington. We tend to take a hands-off approach to it. Um, our, our, uh, the way we usually do those is we try to make sure that anyone who's, who's uh, protesting and exercising their constitutional rights is safe. We try to make sure, because um, what happens frequently is uh, cars get introduced into, uh, into the crowds. Usually it's, it's because someone takes a wrong turn and they're in the middle of it and they panic and they don't know what to do. So uh, one of the things that uh, we'll be doing today and we've done in the past is we try to make sure we shut down the streets so that we don't get vehicles mixing with people uh, marching and things like that. Um, the, uh, th that's what we're going to do today is, is we are going to uh, make sure that, that cars don't get in the mix with, with the crowds. We're going to let people uh, march, you know, in the streets. We're going to let them, uh, you know, the, the, it's supposed to go to the courthouse where there's going to be some, some speeches made. We're going to make sure that, um, that area is safe so that people can uh, protest and, and um, uh, uh, do so safely. Okay. As for body cams, yeah, all of our officers have body cameras. We've had them uh, for several years. Um, anytime they are interacting with anybody, they are to be activated so that they're recording that interaction. Um, uh, that's our policy. Uh, our officers uh, very much uh, appreciate the body cameras. They, they, uh, they have them on uh, whenever they're interacting with somebody. And if there's a, ever any issues, we, we will pull that body cam footage and review it to make sure that um, all the policies were followed and that they, the officers did, did uh, everything right. Okay, William Morris, do you wanna reiterate that question and get some other people involved here? Bob, uh, yes, and, and the, the idea with that question was just to speak to um, where do we go from here? I know that <clears throat> we have a lot of anger and anxiety and fear, and we have the COVID-19, and we have um, all of these um, injustices being done to black and brown people, and it's just a big mess in some ways. And I know that um, Dr. Myers has talked about um, doing some sort of reform with police. And I was wondering if other people that are here on the show have an idea, how do we go forward, right? I was listening to 
the mayor of Columbia, South Carolina, <clears throat> excuse me, an African-American who's talking about having discussions at the local, state, federal level, but also, as I was sort of hinting before, speaking to each other about our cultures, our cultures as Americans, our cultures as Black people, our cultures as brown people. I'm thinking of the Bob Marley song that reminds us that all Black people are Black survivors. We have come from a history where... <clears throat> You know, we've had to go through segregated armies and segregated schools and segregated restaurants and segregation and travel and public systems. And so there's a history. And I think that so many people see the murder of George Floyd and they see it as a singular activity, a singular event. And there's a this goes all the way back to Emmett Till and way before that. And this thing about education seems to be so critical. And I'm not trying to keep pounding on that, but this idea of of cultural understanding and listening. And um, <clears throat> and so I guess I'm just sort of getting back to that a little bit. Where do we go from here? Let's hear from, uh, from Bill Vance. We haven't heard from Bill yet. Hello, everyone. I um, <laughs> listened to everything and um, took a few notes of my own and um, the one of the professors brought up the fact that we have a vision problem um, dating back to slavery because African Americans were once slaves. We're always viewed as slaves and and even today. So the the vision of African Americans by law enforcement continues to go back to that fact. Um, a better history structure or instruction. I, I'm on board with that. Um, there wouldn't be a need for a Black History Month if, in fact, we had had better instructions in our in our school system. So uh, it's always been said that if uh, if you don't know the history, you'll probably re repeat the same mistakes. So better better um, history instruction. Um, the police, uh, we, it was brought up that we need to have better, uh, they need better instruction or more instruction. I served 32, or excuse me, I served 10 years on the Board of Public Safety and, you know, where the police chief, uh, Decoff and uh, the fire chief, Moore, uh, have served. And I know that those guys have a lot of instruction. That's for sure, a lot of instruction. And also they discipline their uh, officers and firefighters. But the one thing I think they're missing is what I call, I think the, the church would call it soul instruction. Um, how to think, you know, how to, how to relax after they get off the job. Um, how to, um, you know, how to calm themselves when they're dealing with someone that is not cooperating. Um, you know, I know that these pol police officers go through a lot of stress throughout the day, uh, particularly in times of turmoil. The George uh, Floyd case, I remember when I was 24 years old um, and uh, Rodney King. The, the controversy surrounding that. And I remember looking at that and, you know, as a 24 year old man, 
who I didn't think I knew much, but I remember that, I remember thinking, why don't we just let the NAACP handle it? Maybe we can get some worthwhile legislation out of this. And then everything escalated and somebody needed a color TV and, a, and this and that, that the NACP legislation cannot provide. So it seems to me that we're going through the same thing again. And my son's 24 now. And here we have the, the, you know, these latest incidents and all this looting, we're, you know, we're, we're destroying our neighborhoods again. And so it's repeated itself. Here's this history repeating itself. We didn't learn from that back then. So um, I agree with the chief. He said he's horrified. Uh, he's frustrated. Um, I would add, I would add surprised. I was surprised that all this went on. I wouldn't have thought that, you know, uh, here we are in a health crisis and, and this kind of thing goes on. And I, I just wonder what was going through that police officer's mind when he's got several police officers around him and this guy is no way he could hurt him. Why do you want to throw him to the ground and put your knee on his neck? And I didn't understand Eric Garner. You know, I mean, the guy, why do you need to choke the guy? And when he tells you he's, he can't breathe, can't you stop choking and just cuff him and get him in the car and take him, you know, to the facility. So I, I don't understand, you know, what, you know, were these guys under some kind of stress? Were they talked back to? What, what went on that caused these police officers to react like they did? So. May, um, I, may I please interject when you're done? Yes. Yes, absolutely. Let me give our phone numbers again really quickly, or not our phone numbers, but how to get a hold of us. Um, if you have questions or you have comments that you want to make, you can send them to us, news at indianapublicmedia.org. And you can also follow us on Twitter at Noon Edition. So Bill Vance, are you finished? Yes. Okay. So who wanted to jump in there next? Oh, Amrita. Okay, go, go right ahead. <laughs> well, but I think this really gets back to the whole heart of the matter that I was talking about, which is the fact that we can, people like to talk all day about bad apples and, you know, the, the point that I continually make is that folks want to talk about the fruit of the tree or they want to talk about having sensitivity training and diversity workshops. If you look at what happened in Minneapolis, several of the officers on the scene were not white. And and you talk about being horrified or shocked or confused about why these things are happening, sir. This is an institutional problem. It's a structural problem. Policing is at its core, historically, a structurally, institutionally racist institution. It cannot be solved with diversity and sensitivity workshops and training. We must address this with defunding. And that, that is why that that it's as simple as that i mean it's it's just i'm tired of seeing people bleed out on the concrete and i'm tired of people only saying black lives matter when people are dead it's time to address we know what the problems are and we know where it where it comes from and it's time to actually do something about it i want to see guns taken out of the hands of iupd why do our college cops carry guns. It's unnecessary. I want to see 
both the IUPD cadets and I would like to see BPD officers on a regular basis actually take college classes in African American history and Latino studies and Asian American history on an annual basis. I think that would do far more good than sensitivity training ever would. Actual real college classes from people like myself and Professor Bell, Ellen Wu, Michelle Moyd, Mar Marissa Mormon, I can give you a list. And I've suggested this before at meeting after meeting with both IU officials and uh, your predecessor, Chief Vikoff. Okay, there are, but I want guns out of the hands of the IUPD. I want actual, I, I want the BPD and the IU cadets to take actual college level classes, real classes. There are, but, and I really, I think that that Bearcat could be sold and those, that $250,000 could start to fund actual community programs to bring about healing. Forget truth and reconciliation, justice and reparations. There are many things that we can do to begin things here locally on the ground. Federal, yes, but we have to start on at our community because this is an issue of structural racism and we must begin here on the ground. We know why these things are happening. Let's start doing something to change it. All, All right, right. Jan Janine. Yeah. yeah, I wanna jump in there. Um, first on the issue, I wanna to speak to a couple of things empirically that Professor Myers mentioned. First, this issue of training. You know, Minneapolis had the best, most expensive, you know, at a tune of uh, maybe $4 million implicit bias training. And still, we see uh, actions like, you know, uh, the, uh, the death of Mr. Floyd, right? So I, I'm not going to locate change, the types of change that needs to happen in implicit bias training, right? Um, what we need to do is decrease police contact. And this is something that um, should be attractive citizen police contact, it should be attractive to police departments, especially in light of calls for defunding uh, police departments, right? Um, if you have to, uh, if you have less, it will be a whole lot easier um, if you have to do less. And departments around the country have increased, increased the relationship um, uh, of trust felt in the Black community by decreasing police contact between citizens um, in situations where uh, it doesn't need to happen. Um, there are many things that police are doing uh, that simply don't need to be done. And, um, and things that quite simply others are better situated to do. Yes. Uh, so those are uh, those are ways that we could, um, that police could deal with this um, issue of defunding, right? When they're defunding, uh, let social workers do what social workers are uh, better at. Um, and moreover, the police research suggests that the vast majority of police officers, they don't like being social workers. That's not what they want to be doing. 
they would rather someone else interact with the homeless, quite frankly. Can I, can I jump in here, Bob? Sure. Mm -hmm. So um, I, I would agree with some of what's been said. Um, you know, what has happened over the last several years is I think you'll see, and it just happened in, in New York City, people call the police for everything. Yes. You know, the, we get, we don't get these anymore. We used to get calls because people would have bats in their house. That's, <laughs> that's not the job of the police. There's a lot of things that are not the job of the police that the police get called to, but people don't know who else to call, so they call the police, which I totally agree that, um, there are lots of things out there that we should not be handling. Um, some of the things that we have done in Bloomington um, to kind of change that, we were one of the first departments that I know of in the state to hire a full-time social worker. We did that last year. Um, that is, we have seen the benefits of that. Um, we have, we've hired, um, we have two neighborhood resource specialists and, and the goal for that is that they interact with the neighborhoods because a lot of times neighbor, People who live in neighborhoods have minor nuisance issues and they call the police for everything. So our thought was if we had um, someone that wasn't a police officer that had training in that, um, you know, just how to communicate and how to uh, conflict resolution, they could deal with those types of calls. Both of those programs that we have started here um, um, have been quite successful. Um, uh, you know, uh, you can do, we, we do all kinds of training. We do de-escalation training. We do implicit bias training. We do uh, critical incident training with regards to mental health. Um, we do all of that. But um, again, um, I, I, I liked what Dr. Meyer said with regard to education. We hire a lot of college educated police officers. Um, we, we get a lot of people who have college degrees, but I think I think um, she's right, and um, we need to we need to teach more history. Um, somebody said it earlier. You know, if you don't know history, you're bound to repeat it, and I and I that's what's happening. And so um, we're we're doing some of those things locally already, um, where we're trying not to uh, respond to calls. I, I there's a there's a standing order with supervisors when they hear a call come in that isn't anything that the police should be doing. They disregard that call and, some, and tell the, the caller, you need to find another way to deal with it because this is not a police issue for us to deal with. So a couple things have come up. We've gotten lots of, so a lot of uh, comments and questions. I think this, somebody uh, mentioned this acronym and wanted to be addressed. And I think it's sort of been addressed a little bit, ACAB, um, we'll call <laughs> it all cops are bad, um, and which you know, and its implication. This is a person who's a white woman, she says, and she just realized that, that people of color enter in any interaction knowing that, or, or being worried that violence can ensue regardless of their own actions. I'm just gonna mention that was a comment that we got. If anybody wants to respond to it, you can. Uh, but we also have some questions for Selena in particular about today's events. Um, how do you participate in protests if you're high risk for COVID is one question. And the second one is related to that. Um, uh, he heard, or this person heard that, you know, no cars would be allowed in the March. And this person says he doesn't feel safe because of COVID and they had hoped to decorate cars and follow. I'm, I'm assuming uh, Chief Decoff, that's not going to be allowed. I think what's going to happen is, um, from what I've heard, 
Um, there will be cars that are going to follow the march from Dunmeadow downtown, but they, okay. they're, they're not going to be able to get um, to the square to drive okay. around the square because there'll be too many people. Okay. Right. Selena, Selena go ahead. Yes. Yeah, so um, for those with high risk um, compromised immune systems, children's, we're, act we're actually encouraging others to like um, go to the parking lots behind um, Noodles and Company and Qdoba um, on Kirk, well, not on Kirkwood, but um, on Indiana. And we're asking, we're, we're going to have volunteers decorate your car. And then afterwards, we're going to line up. And yes, cars are going to follow the, um, the protesters. But after, well, after, yeah, they're going to follow the marchers. And after, we're asking all of them to either, you know, that's the end of it, or if they want to stay and like park their car and join the protest. But for the drivers, we're like, that, that'll be all. Okay. All right. Uh, William Morris, we have about seven minutes to go in the program. What else do you have? Um, Bob, thank you. And, and I want to just say thank you to everybody for joining us because um, I know just about everybody in the, in the show here today, and I know everybody just does um, so much for, for our community. And, and I, I know I, for one, greatly appreciate all that they do. Um, I have a question for uh, Dr. Myers, um, just as a sort of a point of illumination. I know we're going to run out of time and maybe don't have enough time to cover this, but Dr. Myers, can you speak to, I know you're, you, you do a lot of work and represent Black Lives Matter, just for the benefit of our listeners. And I know there's going to be a lot of signs today about Black Lives Matter, including one that I'm, I'm going to be carrying. Um, can you um, speak to um, Black Lives Matter as a, your understanding of the goals and, and the role of Black Lives Matter in our, um, in our national and local discussions today? It's a broad question that you asked. Yes, yeah. Yes, yeah. Well, maybe you can handle it in about three or four minutes. I don't know, but we don't have much time, and I'm sorry, but I thought maybe, and I, let me give you a little background. I was listening to James Brown say it loud, I'm Black and I'm proud the other day, just preparing for my show, and I thought, well, there's a lot of of, of what he's trying to say at that time in um, in the message of Black Lives Matter, and maybe I just wanted to ask you is, is Yes. So can you speak to Black Lives Matter a little just without um, how it speaks to what we're trying to do in our national and statewide local discussion? Well, one of the things I've been, the song that's been playing through my head the most the last few weeks is Tracy Chapman's Talking About a Revolution. Amen. Amen. Me too. That, that's really what I've been, that's what's, what's been playing through my head. And that's what I was listening to yesterday as I thought about the remarks I'm going to make later today. And especially because it, talking, it talks a lot about poor people going to rise up and take their share. Um, and I was thinking a lot about, is this really just a moment or is it a movement? And is it really bigger than a movement? Is this, is this protest? are these uprisings or are we really on the brink of a revolution? Because, because to me, this feels different. But what I've been frustrated, I mean, you know, Black Lives Matter was started by black women, black mm -hmm. queer women. And like so many movements that we've seen um, throughout generations, decades, ages, centuries, black women have been really um, at, the, at the root, at the forefront and behind so many, but they haven't been given their due Mm -hmm. because this isn't just a country that is inherently racist it's also one that's very patriarchal and misogynistic and mm -hmm. so when the narrative has been written black women have been written out 
not just because they're black, but because they're women. And, but Black Lives Matter was started by black queer women. And it's important for me to say this on the air that it's not just, it's all black lives matter. Because just the other day, a black trans woman was beaten badly by a mob in Minneapolis. And it breaks my heart because we do not talk about the fact that black trans women are being assaulted and murdered all over this country. And that the average life expectancy for black trans women in this nation is 35 years of age. We have a problem in our own communities with acknowledging so many of our own people. And that is a shame because if we truly are acknowledging that Black Lives Matter, then we have to stand together and say that all Black Lives Matter. Heterosexual, homosexual, transgender, gay, straight, cis, I do not care. I am here for all of us. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And this, this to me, this to me is what we need to be thinking about is that it's is are people are just are are people just here to say black lives matter when someone's bleeding out on the concrete or are you here to say black lives matter every single day when i'm being harassed or the microaggressions are happening on a day-to-day basis and are we as a black community here for every black life or only certain black lives that make us feel comfortable Mm-hmm. So my challenge to all the listeners out there, to the white listeners, are, are are you just here for Black Lives Matter when you see another snuff film? Because that's what George Floyd's video was, was a snuff film. And I don't watch brothers and sisters bleeding out. I don't watch those videos because I don't need to take in that trauma. But are you just here for Black Lives Matter when you see us dying? Or are you here to help us survive, thrive, and live? And for Black folks out there, are you here for every Black life or only the ones that make you feel comfortable? Because I ain't here for that. I'm here for every Black life all day, every day. And I'm here for us to live and to survive and thrive. All right. We just have a couple minutes to go. I want to bring Selena back on to talk about the events of today. Just uh, what time are people meeting and what do you hope to accomplish? What's your what's your major goal? And you know, where do you hope we go from here? Hi, thank you. So we are asking volunteers to come at one and between one to three, uh, people can show up and create posters, um, decorate their cars, listen to music. And so at three, we're going to begin with the speakers and between three to three thirty, that's when the speakers just speak. We're also having student speakers as well. Um, and at three thirty to four, that's when we're gonna march. We'll get our march ready and then we're gonna march on down 7th in Indiana and um, go to the courthouse. However, we're gonna turn on six, we're gonna turn on 7th in Washington, the marchers. We're gonna go up six um, to the courthouse and then the cars would just go straight from 7th in Washington, just go straight um, out of there. And so after that, uh, we'll have a couple more speakers um, at the courthouse and We'll have an art station and a memorial station on each side. Um, And yeah, our purpose is just to bring the community together, the IU students, as well as the Black community. Um, And I know there are, um, there is no single, like, Black, like, there's no monolithic of Black. However, we need to align our goals 
and come together and figure out how we're gonna deal with this. Because yeah, we can say the police did this, the police did that, and but and we can get mad and we can protest, but what's gonna come after that? We're trying to get people's anger to turn into passion and use it to go vote. Vote for your local representatives, vote for your um, congressmen, because at the end of the day, they're the one making these decisions, not the police officers. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right, Brother William, we are out of time. I want to want to thank you for being here with us today. I want to thank, thank all you, of our Mark. guests. You guys did a great job. I know we don't have enough time to get everybody's uh, all of everybody's points in, but I think you did a great job of representing Absolutely. where how you uh, how you feel about these matters. I want to thank Bill Vance from the NAACP Monroe County Branch. Emerita Myers from Indiana University and a member of the Black Lives, Bloomington Black Lives Matter Core Council, Bloomington Police Chief Mike Dekoff, Jeanine Bell from the Indiana University Maurer School of Law, and Selena Drake, an organizer of today's march and protest against police brutality. Thank you very much to William Morris, as I said, and for our producers today, Benta Boutier. Um, and uh, who else do we have today? We had Kathy Knapp, we had John Bailey, engineers Mike Stone, Matt Stonecipher, and Mike Pashkash. For Bill Moore, for William Morris, I'm Bob Zaltzberg. Thanks a lot for listening to Noon Edition. Noon Edition is a production of WFIU Public Radio. A podcast of this program is available at WFIU.org. Production support for Noon Edition, fiber internet, streaming TV, home security, and automation in southern Indiana. More information at smithville.com. And from the Bloomington Health Foundation, partnering with local organizations and citizens to invest in programs that address our community's health needs. Bloomington Health Foundation, improving health and well-being takes a community. More at bloomhf.org.